Let's get into the word here. Uh, the title of my word is uh, When Sorry Isn't Enough. First of all, happy Father's Day to everyone. Happy Father's Day, especially to those who have taken on the mantle of fatherhood. Thank you to those who, um, thank you for those mothers who are fathering. Uh, thank you, Bishop, first of all, for allowing me to, to be here this, this, this afternoon. Thank you, Brother O'Henney, as head of the men's ministry, for allowing me to share with, the, with, with all of you. Uh, just want to pray, first of all. Lord, I pray that you will speak through me today to your people. I pray that my words will not confuse, but will increase our closeness to you, Lord, and to each other. I pray, Lord, that you will be glorified through it all. Amen. So welcome, welcome to everyone here in the sanctuary. Welcome to everyone online. Uh, welcome to my family in, in Barbados, friends who are watching this. Uh, happy Father's Day to, to my own dad. Uh, thank you for the pouring into me and helping me to be the man that, that I've become. So let's, let's, let's get right into what I want to share today. Um, surprise, surprise, I want to speak today about justice. <laughs> we are, this is the year of justice for the church and hopefully moving forward it will be something that we, it just becomes part of the fabric of who we are. Amen. Uh, so I want to talk about two forms of justice. I want to talk about the external view of justice, and, but I also want to talk about the internal view. What does justice look like for PT and in our homes and the role that, that we men play in this? And for the external view of justice, I really want to amplify and give an additional perspective on, on reparations. Uh, this was the focus of Pastor Dan Smith's message a few ago, but I, I want to amplify a number of things in this. So turn with me to, to Numbers 5, verses 6 to 7. And it says, Speak to the people of Israel. When a man or woman commits any of the sins that people commit by breaking faith with the Lord, and that person realizes his guilt, he shall confess his sin that he has committed, and he shall make full restitution for his wrong, adding a fifth to it and giving it to him to whom he did the wrong. First, a story of reconciliation I'd like to share. So there's a famous image, it's called the scream image of, of the civil rights movement. Uh, if we could put that, that image up for us all to see. Uh, first of all, you know, let, let's, let's be interactive here. Does, does anyone know what this image is? Can anyone just shout out to me what this image is? Anyone? Does, does this look familiar to anyone? This is a very famous image. Say, say that again? The, the, the high school... Okay, so this is, we're, we're, we're close, we're, we're close. So this is, we, 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 have, we have the right elements here. So 
This image is of Hazel Bryant. She's the, she's the, the 15 year old girl that's, that's kind of shouting. You can see her mouth is, is widest open. And she's, she's shouting at Elizabeth Beckford, also 15. She's the, the girl holding, holding the book in the, in the shades. Uh, she was, she, this was, she was walking to Little Rock Central High School, September 4th, 1957. So Elizabeth was one of the, the Little Rock Nine who were, as you know, the nine, nine black students who attempted to be the first to enroll at the uh, all-white school in, in Arkansas. Uh, uh, as you can imagine, Elizabeth suffered tremendously at school. Uh, she was kicked, punched, spat upon, called all kinds of names. Uh, and and I, I actually looked at this photo, and I, I'm really always curious to understand the stories behind photos. So I, I followed up on their stories, and, and as not surprisingly, uh, or maybe, maybe it is surprisingly, but, but however you look at it, so Elizabeth suffered greatly after school and throughout her life. Uh, you know, she dealt, she dealt with heavy bouts of depression, uh, she, raised, she had to raise two children on her own. She was uh, always f struggling to make ends meet. Uh, Hazel, who was, who was the, the girl that was shouting at her, these obscenities at her, uh, called her about six years after that photo was taken and apologized. And after that, they, they didn't speak for many years. But, but Hazel, remember, Hazel was the girl that was shouting. She, she actually... Uh, felt really guilty about what she had done. And she made it a point to pour herself into the civil rights movement. She supported causes for people of color uh, across the country. And on, on the 40th anniversary of the Little Rock Nine, the, these two were captured in, in this photo. So, so this is 19, 1997. Uh, they're standing, the two of them, they're standing in front of Little Rock uh, Central High School, 40 years after this, that event. So that's, that's Elizabeth on the left, uh, Hazel on the right. And the two of them actually form a friendship after this. They, uh, they realized they had a lot in common. There were certain things that they both liked. Uh, but if you think this story ends well, it, 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 it doesn't, because what, happens was, what, what happened was Elizabeth realized that Hazel was too eager, too eager to overcome, to forget about the past that they had, that, and that their relationship tended towards being too superficial, too performative. And, and actually, the friendship that they had formed in 1997 actually ends about two years later. And, and this, is what, this is what Elizabeth says. She says, true reconciliation can occur only when we honestly acknowledge our painful but shared past. And, and I felt this story was, a, was somewhat of a, a, a microcosm of what we are experiencing as a nation right now. We, 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 we've seen, we've had these past atrocities. There's, there's a move to, to, end, to, to, to somehow reconcile, but, but there's something missing. There's something missing. There's something missing. And so I wanna get, get into the word on this. So, you know, I think we, we are at a crossroads here in the US uh, with regards to justice in the wake of 
George Floyd's murder, Derek Chauvin's conviction, uh, white Americans and even many black Americans are waking up to the depth of depravity per perpetuated against black and brown bodies for the last four centuries. And, and despite decades of investment in, in charitable causes and uh, a large economic gulf still exists among groups in this country. Um, and I'm saying we, are, we need a broader public policy change rooted in reparations. And we, the members of the body of Christ, we need to be more vocal to drive this change than we are today. And so I, want to make, I also want to make a very clear definition of reparations. What does that mean? So if you look at that, it says making amends for a wrong done by paying money to or otherwise helping those who have been wronged. It's the action of repairing something. And, and to be even clearer, you know, we need reparations in this country for the centuries of land theft and labor theft and life theft that were stolen from black and brown people here. Well, I, I didn't say this was going to be a, a happy, you know, Father's Day message wrapped in a bow. I, I'm just trying to be real with you folks. I, 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 love, I love you people. I love you, my, my family. But I think there's some honest truths that, that, that we, need to, we need to discuss. Reparations really is about justice rooted in God's word. So Exodus 22 verse 1 says, If a man steals an ox or a sheep, and kills it or sells it, he shall repay five oxen for an ox, and four sheep for a sheep. Leviticus 6, verse 4 to 5, when they sin in any of these ways and realize their guilt, they must return what they have stolen or taken by extortion, or what was entrusted to them, or the lost property they found, or whatever it was they swore falsely about. They must make restitution in full, add a fifth of the value to it, and give it all to the owner on the day they present their guilt offering. This next passage, we actually, we actually studied this a lot on, Tuesday, on Biblical Justice Prayer on Tuesday. Uh, Brother Kevin shared this. Uh, Pastor Dan shared this. I shared this. And this is Luke 19, verse 5 to 19. We all know this story well. Uh, I'm going to read from verse Six. So, so he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, He has gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated, and this is the important part, if I have cheated anything, anything, anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. And so there are many people who argue that reparation should not be made to anyone because there's no one alive today who were the, who were the perpetrators of injustice or were harmed by any injustice. Yet there's a biblical counter argument to this as well. And we see this in Ezra 6, verses 6 to 12, where King Darius passed a decree that people who did, who did not conquer Israel actually paid taxes to support the descendants of those Israelites who had been conquered about three generations earlier. Others might say, well, you know, this is, this is 
ancient history, but, but in, re, in, rea, in recent times we've seen this. In recent times we've seen Germany pay billions of dollars in reparations to the Jewish people for the Holocaust. We've seen the U.S. pay reparations to families, uh, Japanese families who were illegally kept in internment camps during the same war. Family, we don't have, no one will say today that we have, that slavery exists today. Uh, but the stepchild of that grave injustice continues and is snowballed. And to the point where black household net worth is on average about one-tenth that of white households. Intergenerational transfer of wealth accounts for somewhere between 25 and 50% of an adult's total wealth to the point where you have people before they are born, they're inheriting a significant amount of, of, of wealth. And, and this is not about, this, this is about understanding how, how the economy works, how God works, and, 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 and really understanding how, why reparations is so important. So I wanna show, I wanna demonstrate for you how this works. So I have Adam, Baron, and Nia. Can you, can you come up here a second, please? There's Adam. You want to wave to the crowd, Adam? There you go. This is Nia and Baron. All right, so I want to demonstrate to you this. All right, so I want you to hold this, Baron. I want you to hold this, Adam. Okay. So um, this this balloon represents this balloon represents lands that were stolen. And it represents uh, lives that were taken from the coasts of Ghana and Nigeria, Benin, uh, and taken across in the Middle Passage to work in plantations in the Caribbean and in the US, South America. This, this balloon represents that. The blood that was poured out by our ancestors represents the resistance of those who died resisting at the point they were captured along the way on the, on, in, in the middle passage, those who resisted once they arrived. And so, Nia, I, I want you to, to forcefully snatch this for me. Just snatch it hard as you can, just a little harder than that. Harder than that, harder than that, harder than that. Let's, let's see, let's snatch it. Yes, rip it away from me. So this, this is one generation in which this was, this was taken forcefully. This balloon, this balloon becomes, this balloon a number of generations later. This, these resources, this, this value of, of what this represented becomes larger over time. And hold on to this, Nia. And then this larger balloon, it's all the same balloon, is what we have, what we have today. This, this, is, this, is, the, this is what was stolen. But, but today it looks, it might, you know, it, it may not look stolen, but it, it, the reality it is stolen. 
And this, in essence, represents the need for reparations because this life, these lands that were stolen, have now, generations later, become something that is so much larger. And we have to understand that we need, that we need to reclaim what was lost because it is, it is painful. It is painful. Listen, uh, many will argue that, thank you, thank you all. Thank you very much, thank you, thank you, sorry. Many will argue that there has been so much progress already. Look, we, we just celebrated Juneteenth, marking the complete end of slavery in the U.S. In, in, in Galveston, Texas. Many fought for many years for that victory to make it a holiday. Uh, I, I thought what was shocking was that the support by Congress for this holiday was almost, thank you, Bishop, was almost universal. Yet on issues such as voting rights and raising the minimum wage, issues of huge economic and equity implications, there's resistance. I, again, I do not want to downplay the significance of Juneteenth to our people and the recognition to this country, but we, we've got to go further. We've got to go further. We have to, we have to avoid uh, things that may sometimes seem performative. And again, I'm not saying that Juneteenth is performative, but there are other things that are being done that do not truly bring true equity. Look, the, some, some scholars have estimated that the value of reparations somewhere between one and on the low end to $17 trillion. If you had to pay sort of a fair wage to people and you hadn't stolen lands and the, the size of the US economy today is about 23 trillion. Um, the support for reparations is pretty, there's, there's not a lot of support for it. So amounts, uh, the white support for reparations is about 10%, black support for reparations is about 50 to 60%. So it's not, not even universal there. Uh, yet support for reparations is higher today than it was two, two decades ago. And if you want more information about reparations, I, I would highly recommend you, would highly recommend that you read Ta-Nehisi Coates' essay, The Case for Reparations. It, it is, it very succinctly talks about why we need to have this. But here's the interesting thing. So, so what if we have reparations, but there's no change to people's hearts? You know, what if the sin, the scourge of white supremacy remains unchanged? What good would reparations be? I, I, I don't think this fear should prevent us from attempting to seek justice completely. Why? Because people are dying prematurely because of these inequities. People are not being educated because of these inequities. People are losing hope because of, the, of these inequities. Uh, you know, why should neighboring zip codes in Boston, 
one predominantly white, the other predominantly black, have a life expectancy difference of more than 25 years. This, this, is, this is fact, and if you go to, um, I've got a good friend of mine who, who runs a, a, a hospital foundation in, in Houston. I, I talked to, he says the same thing exists there. This is, this is a matter of life and death. And I ask this question, should we not be concerned that God's, period, God's people experience the fullness of life? This is, this is something we cannot remain passive on this issue. We cannot remain passive on this issue. So let's just say that you are totally unconvinced by everything I just said. You, you, none of these arguments, scriptural or otherwise, convince you about why we have to pursue this, these reparations. I want to ask this question. What is the central tenet of our Christian faith. If, if, if I had to ask you, what's what the central tenet of our Christian faith? What? If anyone could shout out a, a Bible verse to me, anyone. What Bible verse? Elder, Elder Leon. Okay, thank you. Thank you, Elder Leon. That's, that's a good one. That's a good one. Any, any others? Oh, Adam is, is... Yes, Adam. Go ahead, bud. Love thy neighbor, Adam. Oh, it's good, Adam. Thank you. Thank you. That's, that's a great one. That's a good one. Matthew 6.33. Seek ye first the kingdom of God. I'm looking for one other. Maybe someone in the chat. I don't know if anyone's monitoring the chat. But there's one. You see it a lot at football games sometimes. John 3.16. There it is. John 3, 16, that's the central tenet of our faith. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. This is an act of reparation. We, we are broken people, sinful people, but God, in, in God gave it because he had grace for, he had mercy on us. He gave his son to die on a cross as an act of reparation, as an act of restoration, as an act of restitution. That, friends, is what true reparation looks like. And so to this end, I, I am encouraging the church to, to initiate a group focused on pushing for reparative justice. We need to, and, and, and we need to engage with the city of Cambridge, engage with Mir Siddiqui. We need to form partnership with other churches. Uh, I have to give credit to uh, my justice prayer partner, Pastor Dan of First Church, uh, for developing the announced a couple weeks ago on our biblical justice call that they had starting a reparations fund at their church. Uh, Cambridge could be a role model for other cities in executing our reparations. And Mayor Siddiqui, if, you, if you're watching this, uh, if you watch this in the future, I'm encouraging you to learn from other cities such as Evanston, Illinois, that are starting to address these reparations issues. You can be a difference maker too. And to my brothers and sisters, do realize this is work that will not have an immediate benefit. But do it as if working for the Lord. 
recognize that the impact will be experienced by future generations. Brothers and sisters in Christ, this is, this is the external view on justice. And, and sor- sorry is not enough. Performative justice is not enough. We need to see tangible acts of justice that only full reparations and restitution can bring. Now, it's easy to talk about external justice, and, but we can't do that if we're not internally aligned in this church, in our own homes. So I want to talk a little bit about justice inside our homes, inside of PT. And I want to start, uh, uh, Brother Henny alluded to this, I want to start with this word on justice in, in McAllen, Texas. So this is a small town that sits on the edge of the U.S.-Mexico border. Uh, you can see it there right at the bottom of Texas. Uh, it's a major crossing point for immigrants coming into this country from, from Central, Central America. So in, in the summer of 2018, Maria, uh, my wife, uh, Nia DeYoung, uh, Tara Edelshek and I uh, volunteered at the uh, Catholic Charities of the Rio Grande Valley. It's an organization that assists immigrants fortunate enough not to be turned back at the border by ICE. Uh, so this organization helps these families reconnect with uh, families in the U.S. to await immigration hearings. And Nia actually, she talked about this during the uh, Fan Into Flames, the last Fan Into Flames uh, session. She gave an excellent presentation. And, and this visit was prompted by really outrage over the child separation policy at the time that was instituted by the Trump administration as a means of deterring immigrants from entering the U.S. Um, as an immigrant to the country myself, I, 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 I wanted to understand this issue. This, this issue really touched me. And it, this was, for me, personally, a turning point in my own justice walk. And, and I really learned the value of being proximate being proximate to circumstances truly unlike mine, people different than me. Uh, Brian Stevenson, uh, who runs the Equal Justice Initiative, talks a lot about the value of proximity. And and family, I think this is how we build understanding, how love grows. And and I can't even begin to tell you the the horror stories that that we heard uh, from the people that crossed the thousands of miles walking uh, through Central America, through very dangerous situations, seeing killings, seeing abuse of all kinds, just to make it here. And, and I, just want, I just want to spend a little bit of time on, on being the value of proximity. If you are young, get proximate to your elders. If you're a left brain thinker, get proximate to right brain ones. If you are a quiet, reserved person like, like me, get proximate to someone who will set the room on fire. This is why I married uh, my wife, by the way. Uh, if, if you are white, get proximate to those who are black. If you are straight, get proximate to someone who is gay. I mean, this is Pride Month. Educate yourself. 
If you can walk, get proximate to someone who needs the assistance of a wheelchair. Get proximate. Jesus' entire ministry was about being proximate. So, so as I came to learn, many of the women who are fleeing some of the Central American countries for the U.S. are trying to escape uh, horrific uh, abuse, domestic violence. And actually, just last week, uh, the Biden administration reversed a Trump rule that prevented women from fleeing violence from seeking asylum in the U.S. So, the stats are one in four women have experienced some form of violence or abuse in a relationship. And men, men have also been victims of abuse, but today I really want to address the women who have been harmed at the hands of men. And, and family, I must say that I tread very carefully here. I, I cannot emphasize enough how carefully I'm, I'm trying to tread here. Um, you know, I was sensitized to this by, by you know, Maria's own experience as, as a child and, and abuse that she witnessed. Before I decided to even speak about this, I spoke to a number of women in our church who have given their own testimonies from this pulpit about the trauma they have experienced at the hands of men. Uh, and then on a recent midnight prayer call, a number of us were on, and I encouraged the men to pray for one of our sisters who had alluded to the abuse she had experienced in a past relationship. And as a father of three children, I, I want them to know that this behavior is not to be perpetuated or tolerated ever. So brothers, I, I'm talking to you directly. Talking to you directly. Some of the women in our church have been hurt in prior or current relationships before PT or after joining PT. Uh, they might have been hurt by, by men who have no connection to PT. Some of them might not even have been hurt in the context of a, a relationship, but by words that we might have said to them. Actions we have taken, I, I include myself in that, that were too casual, not well thought out. There are a lot of good brothers in and outside of PT. Brothers who love the Lord and put him first. Who respect their elders, their own families, who are great dads to their children and uncles to the children of this community. Brothers who fight for justice like, like, like these brothers here. These brothers. Uh, so this, this is a photo from uh, our men's summit maybe three years ago. And I, I, I know a lot of brothers miss this because it's a real opportunity for us to reconnect. Um, Brother Damond, who is here, this was his brainchild. How many years? I don't know how many years ago, but this, this brought brothers together. And so I encourage brothers to go to this, the, the leadership summit, the leadership uh, training uh, next weekend. But brothers, men of PT, on this Father's Day, just walk with me here. Just walk with me. 
I would like us to step in the gap, into the gap for other men, step into the hurt that other men have inflicted on the minds and bodies of other women. Yes, you were not responsible for that hurt, but we share, we share a collective sin. Again, I, 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 this is not the lovey-dovey Father's Day message you were, might have been hoping to hear, family, but brothers, we have to, we have to step into this gap, and we have to stand in this gap the same way that God stood in the gap for mankind by offering his only son to die on the cross so that we could one day join him in paradise. If you, if you, if you, are, if you are a brother in this church, can, can, can we do this? Can we, can, we, can we come? I'm just saying, can, we, can you join me here? Can, we, can you join me here? And you can socially distance. If you are a brother in this church, can we just join me here? And, and I want you to just face the camera. Because I, I think we need to see, family needs to see, see us. You can socially, you can distance, however, whatever makes you comfortable, leave your mask on. So as, as we stand in that gap, as we stand in that gap, we want to say we are sorry. We are sorry for the hurt, the abuse that men have inflicted on women, whether you experience that as an adult or in your youth. And I want to pray for for a covering of protection over these women right now. These queens, these daughters of yours, Lord, if you are watching this live or you're listening to this in a recording, Lord, you are the ultimate healer, the ultimate restorer. Our sorry is not enough, Lord. We pray that anything we took physically, emotionally, mentally will be returned to you multiple times over. And I want to say to, to brothers, whether you are a brother in PT or not, whether you're watching this live or listening at this at some point in the future, who feel shame or guilt for any abuse or sin that you are perpetuating or perpetuated against women or children, I want to say this. First, stop the destructive behavior. Then seek help. Call a brother in the church. Call me. Call Ohene, who leads the men's ministry. Call Elder Roy. Call Bishop. Call someone. Say, then say sorry. Say sorry to those you have hurt over and over and over. And then find some tangible way to make amends. Ask God for forgiveness. And know that, like in Lamentations 3, verse 23, Great is his faithful, faithfulness. His mercies begin afresh each morning. Brothers, you can, you can return to your seats. Thank you. Thank you, brothers. So in closing, I just want to say, if you've, never, if you've never accepted Christ, 
or if you want to renew your relationship with him, uh, please join me in the following prayer. Lord God, I admit that I am a sinner. I repent and ask you to forgive me of my sins. I believe that Jesus Christ died on my behalf in order to cleanse me from my sins. I believe that Jesus arose from the grave to give me a new life in him. God, you said in the Bible, whoever calls on your name shall be saved. So I ask you, Lord Jesus, to come into my heart, save me and make me God's child. This is, uh, as, as some of you know, as many of you know, we, we leave, we're actually on a plane, literally on Wednesday, um, and I just wanted to thank, uh, there are too many names to thank, but I do want to thank my justice prayer partners who've joined me in prayer, in action over the years. I want to say a special thanks to the saints of our church, Mother Green, Mother Cummins. We honor the lives of Reverend Herman and Deacon Cummins. There are so many couples. I, I literally have a list of people. I don't have the time. I literally have a list of all the couples that have poured into our lives that I want to say thank you to. My executive team, the elders, all those who have worked with me uh, on the finance team, the big cousins who've just loved on our kids. There's so many brothers that I, I, that I have prayed with, that have prayed for me, and sisters as well. I just want to say thank you, thank you, thank you. Uh, and obviously, I want to thank my wife, Maria, my children, Nia, Adam, Baron, all my family that's watching this online right now. Thank you, PT, for all of your love. And if I could just return that to you in any small way, I will. I love all of you. May God bless you.